I'm Lina Ahmoudou. Welcome to Health Chat. There is good news regarding neglected tropical diseases. The Carter Center has announced that just 14 human cases of guinea worm disease occurred worldwide in 2021, drawing nearer to the goal of global eradication. It is the lowest annual case total ever recorded, and the cases occurred in just four countries. The center says in 1986, about 3.5 million human cases of guinea worm disease occurred annually in 21 countries in Africa and Asia. The 14 cases mark a 48% decline from the 27 cases reported in 2020. VOA's Kane Faraboth reports that if the remaining endemic countries in Africa, Chad, South Sudan, Mali and Ethiopia, and border areas of Cameroon read the parasite completely, it would become the first disease in human history eradicated through prevention and not vaccination. Take a listen. As he faced the world during a 2015 press conference grappling with a potentially fatal cancer diagnosis, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter said he had one more goal to fulfill. I'd like for the last guinea worm to die before I do. Over six years later, Carter, now 97, has battled through brain cancer and other health setbacks to see his Carter Center mark a historic milestone in the fight to rid the world of the once neglected tropical disease the global nonprofit began dedicating resources to fighting in 1986. We are pleased to mention that there are only 14 human cases in the world uh, through the end of 2021 and no log so far in 2022. That's the lowest number of recorded cases in human history, says Adam Weiss, the director of the Carter Center's guinea worm eradication program. The milestone places the effort close to being only the second disease ever eradicated. So every year, more than 3 million people were suffering from guinea worm. And today, to be able to say only 14 human beings on a planet of, what, almost 8 billion people is just remarkable. Remarkable in part, says Weiss, because the 14 cases in 2021 is also a 48% drop from the previous year, a time when the world has been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. The national programs have remained almost entirely operational throughout the pandemic. Weiss says much of the guinea worm eradication effort in endemic countries isn't staffed by foreign nationals, but instead relies on local villagers and community members to manage prevention efforts at local water sources. We built a formidable force at the community level. We ensure that we have a program which is anchored within the structure of the community. And, and, and uh, we work every day to ensure there is ownership at the community level. McCoy Lagora is the director of the Guinea worm eradication effort with the Ministry of Health in South Sudan a country that at one point accounted for almost 80% of global infections. The effort to fight guinea worm prevailed over civil war and sporadic unrest in South Sudan to reach the point of only four recorded cases in 2021. And I want to believe that uh, if we can do it in South Sudan, it can be done everywhere. Mali, Ethiopia, Chad, and parts of its border area with Cameroon are the last strongholds of guinea worm on the planet. But while the effort has mostly met success, it has also experienced setbacks. What we've seen in the last 10 years or so is infections occurring in domestic animals. And so we did experience a, a setback to the global campaign in 2012 when we started to see that occurring. But only a small number of cases were recorded in animals in 2021, and the fight against the worm seems to be nearing the finish line. As the number of guinea worm cases globally dwindles, 
President Carter's age advances. And Adam Weiss says everyone involved in the effort would like to see the goal of zero cases reached soon. Of course, I would like nothing more than to see it happen in his lifetime. You know, President Carter as our big boss, but also as as our North Star in in trying to help keep us focused, it adds a layer of, of pressure and also a layer of responsibility that we all have. Kane Fairbaum, VOA News, Chicago. We turn now to antimicrobial resistance, or AMR. New data published in the medical journal The Lancet shows that at least 1.27 million people die each year due to AMR. Experts say the issue of antimicrobial resistance or drug resistance requires urgent action from policymakers and health communities to avoid further preventable deaths. For more insights, I spoke with Dr. Rafael Chanda, a clinician and senior policy officer at REACT Africa. Dr. Rafael Chanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. The global research on antimicrobial resistance, GRAM, reveals that at least 1.27 million people die every year because of antimicrobial resistance, AMR. Could you share some of the main findings of the report and give us a quick explanation of the threat of EMR? So this particular report, the Gram report, was done in um, 204 countries, making it the most comprehensive report on uh, EMR uh, to date. And the major finding uh, in this particular report was that in 2019, about 4.95 million deaths were associated with antimicrobial resistance, and of that, about 1.2 million were attributed to AMR. And the most interesting finding was that the highest burden of AMR was um, in Western uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, In terms of the most common um, conditions that were associated with uh, AMR were lower respiratory tract infections. And another important finding was that in most low- and middle-income countries, there was anti-data, which basically highlights the fact that we still have um, a lot of work to do in in, uh, in our setting in terms of um, improvement uh, for surveillance. What have been the main drivers of AMR in the co- on the continent? The, main, the, the major drivers of AMR in our setting, first of all, we have to start with issues surrounding access to antimicrobials. We have challenges accessing uh, essential medicines and also accessing novel uh, medicines. And the other interesting part is that we also have challenges with access with regards to diagnostics and even just how healthcare services in general. And there is also this inappropriate use of antimicrobials, especially where communities are, and even just in hospitals. And by inappropriate use of antibiotics, we tend to have less of regulation when it comes to purchase or procurement of prescription-only medication. Somebody can easily buy medications over the counter and we tend to use antibiotics for every ailment as highlighted, especially when somebody has got uh, flu infections. It's really multifactorial. It has issues to do with access and also there is a behavioral component associated with it. So when we look at the fact that it's multifactorial, uh, how much of a challenge is it to tackle the issue? What solutions can be implemented or scaled up for a significant progress in a sustainable way? Most African countries um, actually already have 
um, national action plans that address antimicrobial resistance within the local setting. They have been adopted from the Global Action Plan on Antimicrobial Resistance that was passed in 2015. So there is already a policy framework. What is really required is to find ways and means to actually finance or prioritize antimicrobial resistance issues at country level and direct activities in a very integrated manner and not um, just targeting one particular aspect. We should go beyond uh, looking at AMR as an issue which is associated with human health but also look at the other sectors because the other sectors also contribute to consumption of antimicrobials. So you said that there are already policies in place and everything. What can government do? So using this particular report, the beauty with this report is that it will make advocacy and highlight to most African countries that AMR is not really a foreign issue, but it's one that is present in in our setting, one that deserves to be prioritized and have national budgets allocate resources to address AMR. In the most part, most of the activities have been carried out, but they've been carried out in a very segmented way. So some countries would carry out antimicrobial stewardship programs that address AMR, and some would target uh, surveillance. So there is a bit of effort, but what is really required is to find sustainable solutions to issues surrounding financing of antimicrobial resistance in our setting. What about the role that individuals can play, as well as uh, providers? One of the issues that has been mentioned is the fact that sometimes doctors, providers, overprescribe antibiotics and, and certain drugs. So what can uh, patients do and providers do as well? So at patient level, what is really important is for people to be made aware that when you take antibiotics, it's not only the condition that you have that you're treating, there is always the issue of collateral damage. And once somebody takes an antibiotic, resistance is bound to emerge. So what we have to address at community level is to sensitize people to have better health-seeking behavior. And also at the same time, we have to come to a point where we have to improve access to health care. Because half the time, this is what actually uh, leads to uh, individuals taking antibiotics. They don't just have access to a doctor or access to a healthcare facility. So at, at individual level, we have to do better uh, sensitization. We have to educate our, our, our population about the harms of consuming antibiotics. And with providers? The providers, uh, remember I said that we have to look at MRI in a very integrated manner. So most of the providers have to be provided with better diagnostics. Without diagnostics, without data which is specific to a particular setting, we'll always be inclined to overprescribe and not um, narrow down. So it's more of a health system strengthening approach where we have to now look at investing in surveillance and essentially diagnostics for us to come up with guidelines that can guide clinicians on how they should prescribe antibiotics and the duration of antibiotics that they should prescribe. You are with the organization REACT Africa. What is the mission of REACT Africa and what have you been able to achieve so far through your work and advocacy? So REACT is uh, a catalyst organization that helps countries to translate our policy into action. So in Africa, our work has been more around national action plan development. So we have assisted a number of countries to develop uh, national action plans and also MR policies. And also in currently we are actively involved in implementation of national action plans in these particular countries. 
So what do you see moving forward? I know you talked about solutions, but in terms of priorities, if you will, moving forward with regards to fighting antimicrobial resistance. The report has got regional data. So the next step for countries to actually invest in uh, surveillance um, diagnostics so that we can be able to actually generate um, local, local data and this particular data even use it for monitoring. Without us knowing what's really going on in a particular country, we won't really know if the interventions are actually working. And that's where the issue has always been. We put in so much, but we can't really monitor and evaluate the impact of the interventions. So going forward, to prioritize, we have to now look at addressing EMR in a very integrated approach, meaning we have, we have to look at advocacy, uh, look at improved diagnostic, strengthening intervention uh, control, and uh, as well. The COVID-19 pandemic has impacted uh, the, the world and countries in many, many ways. Uh, when it comes to AMR, what has been the impact? So COVID-19 is a very infection. And remember, I initially said that normally a lot of antibiotic consumption is associated with flu infections or essentially viral infections. So there has been a lot of antimicrobial use, especially earlier on in the first and second wave before we came up with guidelines to actually restrict um, the use of antimicrobials. And apart from that, the other impact that COVID-19 has had is issues surrounding prioritization when it comes to uh, allocation of resources at country level and also prioritization in terms of diagnostics. So in most settings where there is a limitation in terms of diagnostics, a lot of money has gone towards diagnostics for COVID and they have ne neglected uh, surveillance uh, for AMR. And finally, Dr. Chanda, what do you hope to see when it comes to AMR? For AMR, I'm hoping we can now comfortably recognize AMR as a pandemic, not as something which is yet to come, but we have to embrace the fact that MR is here and it's actually current pandemic, not a future uh, problem. So it, it is something that we have to address now, not something that we have to um, put off and address in the near future. So with this particular report, I'm hoping we would see better funding and uh, better resource allocation at country level to address AMR. Dr. Rafael Chanda, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dr. Rafael Chanda, a clinician and senior policy officer at React Africa. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including a war of words picks up steam between top diplomats from the U.S. and Russia at the United Nations as the world waits to see whether Russia will invade Ukraine. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Welcome back to Health Chat. Nigerian health authorities say the country's life expectancy is among the worst in the world, with influenza and pneumonia both leading causes of death. In Nigeria's Cross River State, severe air pollution is increasing the cases of respiratory disease, as Timothy Obiezu reports from Port Harcourt, Nigeria. Before leaving for work each day, Port Harcourt resident David Toluadamu wears his face mask to filter out the sooty, polluted air. 
constantly on a daily basis, year in, year out. We have issues with uh, black suits. We breathe in this harmful substance day in, day out in our sleep, while we walk, when we exercise. Wearing a face mask has been a practice here long before the coronavirus pandemic began. That's because the air in this Nigerian city has long been polluted by the activities of illegal oil refiners, flaring gas, and tire and refuse burning. Health authorities say the suit in the air is increasing respiratory ailments in the state, some 23,000 cases in the last five years. State authorities have begun addressing the problem in the affected areas, says a local government head. The actions is not affecting our health. We won't bother. We are the ones here. We are the ones dying. We are the ones in the pain. I am here every day in the local government. Sometimes I open my door, everywhere is turned dark. Meanwhile, it's supposed to be sunshine. Nigerian health authorities say the country's life expectancy at 54 years is among the lowest in the world. Respiratory illnesses such as influenza and pneumonia are a leading cause of death. Globally, almost 300,000 people died from these illnesses in 2018, according to WHO estimates cited by the group World Life Expectancy. River State authorities blame suit pollution for worsening the problem and since the start of this year have cracked down illegal refinery operators. More than 20 illegal refiners have been arrested and their bases shut down. But critics accuse state authorities of not doing enough to curb pollution. The government is only interested in the proceeds of the oil and gas, but they are not interested in the people. They are not interested in the environment. For now, River State authorities say they will continue their crackdown on illegal refineries while looking for other ways to keep residents safe from the suit. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Port Harcourt, Nigeria. While Kenya has seen the percentage of people fully vaccinated against the coronavirus gradually increase to 19%, some people, like nomadic herders, have been harder to reach. So Kenyan authorities offered an incentive. Herders who get the job can also get routine vaccinations and medicines for their livestock. For VOA, Brenda Mulinya reports from Isiolo, Kenya. Achom Ekeno is a herder in Isiolo, Kenya. Like thousands in this community, he does not believe COVID-19 is a threat or that he needs to get vaccinated. We don't know about this disease or its medicine. All we know is that it attacks people who appear fat and healthy. It is a disease for the rich, but for us, we don't believe in it and we won't take the vaccines. Health officials say Isiolo's vaccination rate was just 7% at the beginning of 2022 and that many other communities also have low rates. Local leaders and the Minister of Health attribute reluctance to get the vaccine to misinformation, religious and cultural factors and illiteracy. People are informed that if you take the vaccine, you will die after two years. And the vaccine is there to reduce the population of the black people. The vaccine is there so that uh, people don't live long. And some of those things 
made uh, people to be scared of taking the vaccine. Kenya aims to vaccinate 60% of its 55 million people by the end of 2022. Authorities say about 11 million people had been vaccinated by the end of 2021. While the country is making progress, the head of Kenya's COVID-19 task force says vaccines are going to waste because too many people are still reluctant to get the job. The main cause of wastage is lack of people showing up to take the vaccine. So the only solution to reduce wastage is strong social mobilization. In the counties of Isiolo, Marsabit and Moyale, Officials offered people in pastoral communities both the COVID-19 vaccination and medicines and vaccines for their livestock. It is working very well. And, you know, they are not resisting on, the, on their livestock. Hey. We are telling them, why do you value your livestock more than your own life? Hey. Let the livestock get their, their, treatment, their treatment, then you also do it. Hey. We follow them where they are. We know... Our people here that are pastoral, so they move with livestock. But the program is currently on pause due to a shortage of animal vaccines and medicines. The Isiolo County Veterinary Department says it will resume the program when the inventory is restocked. Brenda Molina for VON News, Nairobi, Kenya. In Malawi, nearly two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, only 7% of the population has been vaccinated against the coronavirus, one of the lowest rates in Africa. Village chiefs are trying to change that by urging people to take the job from mobile vaccination clinics. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. In Malawi, nearly two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, only 7% of the population have been vaccinated against the infection one of the lowest rates in Africa. Village chiefs are trying to change that number by urging people to take the job at mobile vaccination clinics. Lamek Masina reports from Blantai. Public meetings and door-to-door campaigns are among the strategies village chiefs in Malawi, like Johnny Sanganiza, are using to mobilize villagers. Here the chiefs diffuse myths that link the COVID-19 vaccine to infertility and allegations that they showed is the government's ploy to reduce the population. Sanganiza, who is a chief for Pasani village, says, I give them an example that there is a life-prolonging drug, ARVs. If the government wanted to reduce the population by killing people, it could have been ARVs. But now, many people are taking ARVs, but they are not dying. The chiefs accompany mobile vaccination clinics where villagers are voluntarily vaccinated against COVID-19. The effort started in July as part of a year-long program funded by the European, funded by the European Civil Protection and Humanitarian Aid Operations, a consortium of eight NGOs, including Go Malawi and Save the Children, is working to scale up vaccinations in rural areas. In Chief Pasani's area of 11 villages, about 500 of 1,200 adults have now been inoculated. Jaina Banda is among the vaccinated villagers. She says, I've been long refusing to get vaccinated, that vaccines will make me infertile. So as a lady, my fear was that I want to have children, but I have realized that this is not true because some ladies 
who are vaccinated are able to have children. With a population of nearly 20 million, only 800,000 people in Malawi have received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine, far short from the country's target of vaccinating 11 million people by December of this year. The low number is largely attributed to misconceptions about the safety and effectiveness of the shot. Those implementing the project, however, say working with the chiefs has helped change perception because villagers trust the chiefs. Laurent Kunchenga is campaigns and communications manager for Save the Children. I'm also noticing that uh, chiefs, uh, their local leaders are also getting uh, the job right in the community. That is also a very powerful encouragement to the community members. So we have noticed uh, a very big shift in terms of figures and the uptake in areas where we are supporting and running this uh, project. Malawian government health authorities held the project. Miles Muhangu is immunization coordinator for the Blanta Health Office. So I could see some people were coming in for the vaccination because of the, their chiefs, of the mobilization of the chiefs. So this also assisted us and it increased the uptake of the vaccine. Maybe up to, it contributed to at least 15 to 20 percent. Project implementers say some villagers shy away from the public meetings because they think they will be forced to get the job. That challenge, however, is overcome by a door-to-door -door campaign where elderly villagers are voluntarily vaccinated right outside their homes. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Planta, Malawi. Now back here in the United States, in a California senior care community, very special pets are helping residents keep their spirits up, fight anxiety and feel loved. Officials say these animals are therapeutic, low maintenance and never get moody. Angelina Bagdasharian has the story. In retired Khadun ke liye Ombi nami ye choti robotic billi mehz mazahiya surat wala ek tech paltu janwar hi nahi hai. She's adorable, yes. California mein Round Tree Gardens nami ye community aise muammar afraad ki dekhbhal karti hai jo yadasht ko mutasir karne wale dementia aur alzheimer ke amraz mein mubtala hain lihaza ye bholi bhali robotic billiyan aur kutte inke liye waqt guzari se zyada ahmiyat rakhte hain hukam ka kehna hai ki ye ek qisam ka ilaj hai aur in retired afraad ko zehni dabao aur istirab ka muqabla karne mein madad karte hain हमारा यूनिट यादाश्त की देखभाल का काम करता है इसलिए हम इन जानवरों को सुकून के लिए इस्तेमाल करते हैं कुछ अपराध देख नहीं सकते उनके लिए ये छूने के एहसास को मुतहरिक करते हैं और उनके लम्ब से वो ये फर्क कर सकते हैं कि ये एक जानवर है यहाँ नए आने वालों को बदले हुए नए माहौल में कुछ इस तरह और जहनी दबाव महसूस होता है इन टेक जानवरों की वजह से हम बगैर किसी दवा के उनके जहनी तनाव को कम करने के अहल हो पाते हैं ये पालतू जानवर बिल्कुल असली जानवरों की तरह नजर आते हैं यहाँ रहने वाले कुछ अफराद का कहना है कि वो भूल ही जाते हैं कि ये असली नहीं है ये बहुत खूबसूरत है मुझे ये बहुत प्यारी है इसका नाम वूफी है अच्छा लगा आपको ये नाम यू लाइक द नेम रियल एनिमल्स असली जानवरों की देखभाल करना पड़ती है उन्हें खिलाना पिलाना पड़ता है डॉक्टर के पास ले जाना होता है बाहर टहलाने ले जाना पड़ता है तरबियत देनी पड़ती है ये टेक जानवर एक ऐसा मुतबाद है जो आपको मशहूल रखते हैं ऑरेंज काउंटी ने ऐसी 200 सौ और कुत्ते खरीदे हैं
ہفتے میں تین بار نرسنگ ہوم کے رہنے والوں کی چھونے کی حصے سے متعلق چند گھنٹوں کی یہ تھراپی کی جاتی ہے اگر وہ چاہیں تو اب وہ خود اپنی بلیوں یا کتوں کے ساتھ بھی وقت گزار سکتے ہیں این آر آئی کے ساتھ سادیا زیب رانجھا وائس آف امیرکا That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Thank you all for joining us and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Lenore Mudo in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and strive to make every day a healthy day. a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Modul. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Next up, our periodic update on Latin America. Vice President Kamala Harris attends the inauguration of the first female president of Honduras. In Chile, more than one half of President-elect Gabriel Boric's cabinet will be women. Benjamin Gadan and Eric Farnsworth join me to discuss these and other developments in Latin America. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America.